First Thessalonians chapter four. We're going to be looking at verses one through ten. If you've been with us for a while, you know that through the first three chapters has been pretty much Paul reviewing to this young church in Thessalonica. He'd come and uh, started a church there. He'd only been there three weeks when persecution hit and they kind of drove him out of town. This is about a year later when he's writing back to these young Christians in Thessalonica. They're actually doing really well. It's only been in existence for about a year, this church. They're suffering under persecution, but they're holding up strong. Um, They're famous in all of the region of Macedonia for their their faith, their faithfulness. uh, We're going to see this, their their work of faith, their uh, labor of love, and their patience and hope. They're doing a lot of things right. We saw the first three chapters was was Paul kind of reviewing and, and encouraging them, saying, Man, I miss you guys. I love you guys. Um, I'm hoping everything's good. And he, he also, last week we saw that on, uh, he sent Timothy and got a good report back. So all things are going pretty well here. And now, as is Paul's custom, he wants to start giving them specifics. Specific things that they can do to uh, get better, if you will, in their walk with the Lord. So let's look at now at First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. Paul says to these Thessalonians, Finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. Paul starts out by saying, finally, then, brethren. Paul says, in closing, but if you know anything about preachers, Paul's a preacher. In closing means I'm just a little over halfway done. Finally, then, brethren, Paul says, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more. These words, more and more. Remember, this is an impressive church. If you want, you can take a left. uh, Chapter 1, verse 3. Look at what Paul, he's he's saying, I'm so proud of you guys. Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, you guys are already famous throughout this whole region of Macedonia for your work of faith, your labor of love, and your patience in hope. He says, you guys are doing a lot of stuff really great. He says, but, chapter 4, I want to encourage you, I want to exhort you to abound more and more. See, Paul didn't want them to take the time to rest, to take the time to congratulate themselves on how great they were doing. You guys remember, does this name ring any bells? Uh, Lindsay Jacobellis, Jacobellis, I don't know if I'm saying it right. She was the snowboarder back in February of this last year, who was winning the Olympics. She was winning the snowboarding thing down the hill, and she, uh, she came up to the second to last hill and decided to do a trick instead of cross the finish line, and it cost her the gold medal. During the gold medal final of the snowboard cross at the 2006 Winter Olympics, Jacobellis was approaching the end of the course with a 43-meter, three-second lead over Tanja Frieden of Switzerland. On the second to last jump, she attempted a backside method grab. I don't know what that is, but maybe you do. Landed on the edge of her snowboard and fell. Frieden passed her to win the gold, and Jacobellis had to settle for silver. They interviewed her later. She said, I mean, I always grab when I go over, and I was really excited, and I had fought so hard, and I was definitely caught up in the moment and forgot that I still had to win the race. I forgot that I still had to win the race. I hope I don't say that. When I get to heaven, oh, I forgot that there was still the race in front of me. Paul never forgot that. 
Philippians chapter 3 says. I'll just read it for you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. It's, it's your family memory verse. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, he says, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. You guys see it, right? It's a picture. A picture of a runner stretching toward the tape, right? He's stretching out. He's reaching for this goal. So here's your first application. Are you pressing on? Are you stretching out that way? Um, Or are you kind of, well, I'm doing pretty good. Things are going pretty well. Or are you... Reaching out, stretching out. Now, in verse 1 and 2, the rest of verse 1 and 2, Paul's going to remind them what they are striving for. Verse 1. Finally, then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God. Paul says the thing you're striving for is to walk in a way that pleases God. Now, We're going to come back to that. But suffice it to say, the the only walk that pleases God is when you walk with him. The only walk that pleases him is when you walk with him. We'll come back. Verse 2 now. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus. That word commandments there, it's a military word. It's paragelo. It means to transmit a message along from one to another. Paul says, I got this message from Jesus. And I'm transmitting it to you. He says, I received these orders from our king and I'm passing them on to you. He's talking about walking, right? You could say these are marching orders. If you want to keep in step, these are the things you need to know. He says, verse 3, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. Stop there. How many times have you and I said to ourselves, I just want to know God's will for my life. I just want to know what God wants for my life. Like, am I supposed to marry that girl or that guy? Am I supposed to keep this job or take that job? Am I supposed to stay here or move there? If you want to know God's will for your life, here it is. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Hagiazzo is the word sanctification there. We've talked about it before. It's sometimes translated holy, sanctified. It means to be cleansed, to be set aside for a special purpose. Did you hear that? Cleansed, set aside for a special purpose. The illustration I usually use is one of your mom's good china. Right? It's cleansed. It's set aside maybe in a, in a special box even. And it's only used for good Wonderful occasions to be cleansed, to be set aside for a special purpose. See, this is the will of God for your life and for mine, that we be sanctified. Now, in that illustration I just gave you, there's really three, well, let's let's say there's three P's. And if you need to remember it, it's... (laughs) Three P's in this idea of sanctification. The first one is purity. God's will for our lives is that he wants us to be pure. The second P is peculiarity. Check. I've got that one. (laughs) Pure 
peculiar. See, he wants us to be different from the world. We're going to talk about these things as we go. He wants us to be set aside. He wants us to be peculiar from those around us. And the reason that he wants us to be pure and peculiar is the third P, purpose. God has a special purpose for you. You guys ever heard that phrase, right? God loves you and he has a special plan for you. Uh, There's a whole book, right? The the purpose-driven life. We are interested in what is God's purpose for us, right? God has a wonderful, he truly does, has a wonderful plan for us. But if we're going to be used to the extent, to the full degree that he wants to use us, we need to be pure and peculiar. Now, the next few verses are going to follow this outline. We're going to be talking about purity in verses 3 and 4. We're going to be talking about uh, peculiarity. Can I say that? Verse 5 and 6. And then in verse 7 and 8, we're going to be talking about this purpose. Verse 3 and 4 says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. See, the word sexual immorality is porneia. It's a really broad word. It covers a lot of ground. Paul says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. First thing he says is that you should abstain from sexual immorality. This is a broad word. It means it includes adultery, homosexuality, fornication, any sex outside of marriage, any sexual act outside of marriage. Now, if you've been with us over on Thursdays talking about marriage, I hope you know, hope you figured out that God is not anti-sex. Right? He's the one who thought of it. He's the one who created it. As we're learning in the, in, over there on Thursdays, the goal of the marriage is, anybody been, been with us on Thursday night? The goal of marriage is the two shall become one, right? The goal of marriage is that the two shall become one. When a husband and wife enjoy the sexual union, it is perfect. It's undefiled. It's unadulterated, interesting, pleasure. It's a picture of the oneness that God wants for us to have. But taken out of its right context, it leads to destruction. How many people grew up in the north? How many of you had a fireplace? How many people grew up in the South and had a fireplace? Just curious. Okay, that's interesting. Did you ever use it? <laughs> the white South. Did anybody in the South actually use your fireplace? Maybe occasionally, once or twice a year? Okay. All right, so pretty much everybody can relate to this illustration. A fire in its proper domain is the fireplace in your home, right? In its proper enclosed place, it brings warmth. It brings wonderful memories. It brings great pleasure. S'mores, oh yeah. (laughs) But you take that fire out of the fireplace and put it on your carpet. It's no longer in its proper space. And what's it going to do? It's going to burn everything down. It's going to destroy your home. Did you hear that? Sexual immorality is like that. In its proper place, man. It's the best thing going. But outside of its proper domain, it does bring destruction. Verse 4, Paul says that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. The word vessel there, in in the old days, in the ancients, they would refer to their own bodies 
as vessels. There's some commentators that think that they're, they're referring to wives there. I think in the context that what it is is it's saying that each of you would know how to possess your own bodies. See, God's will for us, this says, is that we would know how to control our bodies. We would know how to control our own bodies. In sanctification, it says there, same word, hagiosmos, meaning to be set aside for a special purpose. And then it says, and in honor. This all fits in with this idea of, of sanctification. Honor there, the word is time. It looks like, if you look on paper, it looks like time, T-I-M-E. But it's pronounced time. And if you look it up, it means of a price paid or received for a person or a thing bought or sold. He says, it's God's will that each one of us be able to control, to possess the vessels that God has given us in honor, in, in reverence, if you will, for the price that was paid for it. First Corinthians chapter 6, if you have it, you can turn with me. First Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18 reads, Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality uh, sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. It says here we were bought at a price. If you're with us during the, the book of Galatians, you know it was like the picture of a slave market. Right? We were slaves to sin. Jesus came, paid the price so that he could buy us back from this slavery. The, the currency was righteousness. The thing that he gave for me, for you, was his perfect righteous blood. So what, what's happened now is that our bodies, the scripture says, are the temple of the Holy Spirit. And when we sin sexually, we are, in effect, trashing the temple of the Holy Spirit. And we are dishonoring the body that Jesus paid for. Make sense? See, in these verses, Paul is saying it is God's will that you would value your body as much as Jesus valued your body. Do you get it? He valued you so much that he went to the cross and paid for it. Right? And for us to then sin against this, to devalue, to degrade this thing that he's done is, is a terrible thing. I don't want you to miss the point here in verse 4 too, though. That it says that we are, we are to possess our vessel. What that means is controlling ourselves. A lot of times, especially in, in our culture today, we, we don't think, we, we're not convinced that we can control ourselves. Right? Some of you might even be thinking right now, well, well you don't know me. You, I don't have self-control. I, I really want to have self-control, but I don't have self-control. Well, what the Bible says is if you're a Christian... That's just not so. It, you, you don't have it because you, you're not reaching out for it. You're not applying it. Because the Holy Spirit is in you, the Bible says, if you're saved. And if he's in you, then one of the fruits of the Spirit is what? Self-control. See, it's a fruit of the Spirit. It's available to each one of us. We just have to learn how to use it. And that's what he's saying here. He said, it's God's will that you would learn how to use self-control to bring your body into order, to keep it in the fireplace, if you will. You just have to learn how to use it. And we can learn. 
God's will for our life is that we become pure. Now, let's move on to the second P. Verse 4, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Not only are we to be pure, not only is God's will for us to be pure, but it is for us to be peculiar. Check. I got that one. Titus 2, verse 13 and 14 reads this way. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity, sound familiar, and purify unto himself a peculiar people. A peculiar people, zealous of good works. See, we are to be peculiar. Again, for most of us, we're a little peculiar anyway. But this is specific. This is, we are to be peculiar in our purity. We are, I think you can agree with me, are we not surrounded by sexual immorality? I mean, everywhere you turn, TV, radio, internet, everything, every place we go, probably before you leave here, within 10 or 15 minutes, you will see, again, that we are surrounded by this stuff. But did you know that so were the Thessalonians? Totally. Now, we can, we can fall into the wrong assumption thinking that we have it rougher than these guys. Well, they didn't have the Internet. They didn't have all the stuff that we have to deal with. It's true, they didn't have, they maybe had billboards, I don't know. But they didn't have TV. They didn't have the Internet. But listen to this. They actually had temple prostitutes roaming the streets, trying to drum up business. And the society, because it was religion, didn't think that much of it. The Christians in Thessalonica were just as oddball as we are when it came to their surroundings. They, the things that they professed were wrong, they were up against the tide exactly like we are. Listen to this. This was uh, the ancient writer Demosthenes. He expressed the view of sex in the ancient Roman Empire this way. He says, we keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of the body. We keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. And he just wrote it like, this is what we do. That's, that's the kind of environment that they were in. So... Paul is writing to the Thessalonians, the Thessalonians, but he could easily be writing to us. See, it's against this backdrop that the Christians in Thessalonica were called to shine as lights against a dark backdrop. Same thing that we have today. But you guys know, that's how they sell a diamond. You know that's how you sell a diamond? You, you put it in the darkest possible environment, right? You put it on black felt or, or black silk or whatever it is, and you shine a light on that diamond. And man, it's brilliant. It really stands out against the darkness. See, God is calling us to be peculiar in our purity. It wouldn't have surprised me if in Thessalonica they had a movie where they made fun of a 40-year-old virgin. We're to be peculiar people. But we can't be peculiar. We can't stand out. We can't have, be it, have the light shining on us if we're not different. See, our neighbors, yours and mine, they're looking for men and women whose life stands out, who are different. 
Um, we have our original web designer here today. And one of the things that, that, one of the first things I wrote down for our website, if you were going on the front page, you'd see, what do, what do you hope to find when you come to Calvary Chapel? It says friendly people. And then the next word is normal people. Right? Because some churches you go and people aren't normal in that way. But I think we're really normal, which is good. But here's my point. We don't want to be so normal, so the same, that nobody sees any different, right? We are called to be peculiar, different in our purity is one of the ways. See, it's a shame that the divorce rate, the adultery rate in Christendom rivals that of the world. It shouldn't be. See, God wants us to be different. We want to be normal enough to be approachable. But we have to be different enough that they want to approach us. There's no reason. I wouldn't go to somebody if he hasn't got any, his life together any better than me. We want to be normal in the approachable sense, but we've got to be different too. The idea in verse 5 is that those around you don't have the Spirit. He says, we don't want to be like those who don't know God. They don't have the fruit of the Spirit. They don't have self-control. But we do. If you're saved, you do. You have the Holy Spirit in you. But if we don't use it, if we don't use this gift, this fruit of the Spirit, self-control, how's anybody going to know that we're different? And why would they want to come to us? Make sense? Verse 6. He says that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you. And testifying. How many times have you heard sexual sin referred to as a victimless crime? Right? Um, I'm not hurting anybody. That's not how God sees it. In verse 6, he, calls, he says, because the Lord is the avenger of all such. I mean, we've already seen, if you were paying attention in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, that sexual sin is a sin against our own bodies. So there's the first person that we're offending, right, that we're defrauding. Um, and, and you know that just from experience, right? Uh, or from, from observation, I should say. Sexually transmitted diseases all over the place. It's a sin against your own body. But also, for instance, if you commit adultery, well, that one's a little bit obvious, right? You're defrauding your spouse. You're defrauding the other party. You're defrauding the other party's spouse. You're defrauding your kids. You're defrauding the other party's kids. You're defrauding anyone who looks up, looked up to you. The list goes on and on. Well, you're, maybe you're thinking, well, I'm single, and that, that list wouldn't apply to me. Well, if you're single, if you're fornicating, you have your own list. You're defrauding your future spouse. You're defrauding that person's future spouse. You're, take, you're defrauding anyone who takes their moral cues from you. God says, Paul says, God's paying attention. And he will avenge. He calls the Lord the avenger of all such. Picture a a father with a shotgun. No teenage boy with half a brain would ever defile that girl in front of her father. And yet millions of people do exactly that in front of the Heavenly Father with his kids. He loves his kids. And just like that father with a shotgun, don't think that he's just going to turn the other way. 
He says, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. We talked about this in Galatians chapter 6, lest you get the wrong picture. Remember reaping and sowing? This is not to say that, that and I can see how you get the picture. It's not to say that, that God is going to blow your head off, okay, with a shotgun. This is to say that there are consequences, right? God forgives. He always forgives if you come to him and, and ask for forgiveness. But there are consequences that follow just as, as commonplace as day follows night, right? Night follows day. There are consequences. There's this thing of reaping and sowing. There's always a price to pay. See, God's will is our sanctification. Right? That we, we would be purer, and we would be so pure, it would be peculiar. And then the last one. There's a reason for all this. It's purpose. Look at verse 7. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Paul says, God didn't wash away your sins so that you could be unclean. He washed away our sins so that we could be pure. We could be different, like the good china, right? Let me, let me draw a picture for you. Look, uh, you guys know, maybe you don't. One of the things that's common in the White House, and not just this White House, every White House, uh, a lot of times when a visitor comes, a distinguished dignitary, they'll come and they'll bring a gift. Sometimes it's china. Let's, let's say it's china this time, right? Not the country China. Okay, let's say the country China brings some China. <laughs> Suppose you, let's, let's make the illustration more outrageous. Let's say you were the, the, is it emperor of China? Is that right? Nobody knows? Okay, you were the leader guy of China. <laughs> and let's say you personally crafted this, this China from China. You personally worked over it, you, you made it, you made it beautiful, and you brought it to the president on your visit, and you were staying for a week or so. He invited you over the next day, and you, you come in, and you see your china. It's not at the table. It's at the dog dish. And after they're done with the dog dish, you know, after the dog's done with it, they sort of sling it into the sink. How, how would you feel? I mean, you would say, that's an outrage. I spent a lot of time, a lot of trouble. I poured a lot of love into that thing. They're not using it for its intended purpose. Paul says, God did not call us to uncleanness, but he called us in holiness. Verse 8, he says, Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject men, but God, who has also given us his Holy Spirit. Paul says, look, you can pretend that it's just me giving you this uh, commandment. You can just pretend that this is Paul just ranting about sexual purity. But he says, this is not from me. This is from God. It's all about performing your intended purpose. You guys want to know what that is? Go back to verse 1. I, t I promise you we'd come back there. Verse 1, Paul says, finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us, how you ought to walk and to please God. Our purpose, a goal that we should have, is to walk in a way that pleases God. Is it interesting to you, as much as it is to me, how often 
the word walk is used to describe the Christian life? Well, the Jewish life. Way, way back. If you go through the, the Old Testament and you do a word search on walk or walk with God, this is what you'll find. Well, let me back up actually first. You guys ever been on a walk with someone you love? A long walk? What happens? You end up talking. That's a good thing. You end up talking about a lot of different things. It's a great way to get to know somebody. If you walk far enough, long enough, you end up covering all sorts of ground, becoming really close. It's a refreshing, enjoyable, relaxing thing. It's great to walk and to talk with a loved one. Did, did you guys know that God wants that with us? Did you know that it used to be like that? God and man. Turn now to Genesis chapter 3. It used to be that way in the garden. I think we can safely infer from Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, which is where we're going to be looking, that God and Adam and Eve, they used to walk together in the garden, in the cool of the day. They used to have those long conversations. A man and his bride and their God, their creator, hanging out together, talking. But then, what happened? Along came the serpent with the forbidden fruit, and the rest is history. <laughs> Genesis chapter 3, verse 8 says, And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And what? And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Did you notice it wasn't God that hid himself? It was Adam and Eve. We sinned. They hid themselves because of their sin. See, that's one of the worst things about sin is it makes us hide from God. I mean, it makes us hide from God because we know that He's holy and we know that we're not. Sin interrupts this walking and talking with Him, right? Sin interrupts the ongoing conversation that God wants to have with us. Ever since that day in the garden, when they used to be walking together, for the most part, ever since, man has been running from God. Running and hiding. But this is cool. There have been some exceptions. There are men and women who have, in the Bible, returned to God, and they walked with Him in the cool of the day, if you will. Enoch. Remember him? This is from Genesis chapter 5, 22 says, After he begot Methuselah, Enoch walked with God 300 years and had sons and daughters. Enoch walked with God. As a matter of fact, two verses later, he walked with God so well that he didn't even die. He just kept walking right up to heaven. That's pretty cool. Well, and Noah, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9, says that Noah walked with God. He was pleasing to God. Genesis chapter 17, verse 1, Abraham, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said to him, I am almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. And Moses and his successor, Joshua, walked before God because Joshua 22, 5 says, but take care, yeah, this is God speaking to Joshua, take careful heed to the, do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandment, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. See, all the heroes of the faith, faith all, all, the, all the ones that you love to read about, if you notice, they all messed up, but they walked with God. 
And toward the end of the Old Testament, God sums it up with Micah 6, 8. He says, He has shown you, O man, what is good. And does the Lord require of you, what does the Lord require of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. He wants us to walk with Him. Do you guys hear what the Spirit is saying to the church this morning? Isaiah 59, verse 1 says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, nor is His ear heavy that it cannot hear, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. It's sin that separates us from the presence, from the the felt presence of God, right? God is always there reaching His hand out, but we're the ones who are hiding because of sin. See, that's why, does it make sense now? That's why purity is so important. When you think about it, purity, or the lack thereof, affects your impact upon other people. Because if you're peculiar, you'll have an impact on them. But purity also affects your intimacy with your Creator. God wants to fellowship with us. So it's purity, it's peculiarity, but it's mostly Our purpose is to walk with Him, to fellowship with Him. And maybe you're thinking right now, well, that was a really long message about uh, purity. I'm I'm glad other people got to hear that message because I don't have a problem with sexual immorality. Maybe that's you. If by chance that is you, Paul would say, don't forget, verse 1, he says, I urge you to abound, to increase more and more. Maybe up till this moment you thought, well, sexual, I got all sorts of problems, but that's not one of them. Paul says, increase more and more. For instance, what images do you let your head into your head from TV? Paul says, increase more and more. What do you what do you let your eyes see on the internet? What do you even at a like watching a football game? What what do you allow into your brain? Are you vigilant? He says, increase more and more. Now, look at verses 9 and 10. We're going to close with verse 9 and 10, which means we're just over halfway done. Just kidding. Verse 9 and 10 says, But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. How awesome is that? For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another, and indeed you do so toward all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren... That you what? Oh, there it is. Increase more and more. Paul says to the Thessalonians, look, I don't even have to write to you guys about this thing called brotherly love. He says, you guys are nailing that one. And I think if Paul were to write a letter to our church, I think he could say that in general. Right? He could say that in general that you guys, you guys are kind of getting the, the brotherly love thing. But there is an application. What if Paul was only writing this letter to you? You specifically. Could Paul say, oh, brotherly love, we don't even need to talk about that. Could he just skip over this subject completely with just a commendation like he did here? There's an application. Jesus said, they will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. And again, Paul says, even though You guys are doing well. He says, I exhort you. I urge you, do more and more. So there's an application. Nobody can leave here today without an application, right? 
Paul says, press on in these areas. Purity. Peculiarity. Your purpose. And also, how you show love to one another. He says, press on. Go for the tape. Go for the prize. Don't let some Yehu follow you right, and pass you at the last, last bit because you let up. <clears throat> 